0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, in me. One of the challenges that face us as Sunday school servants, when our children complain about the rights of the church. For example, they come and tell you, liturgy is too long. I don't understand anything from the midnight praises. Why you use the akbiyah in prayer, why we celebrate the nativity feast and wait uh, until after midnight, why you don't finish it early because next day you have school, etc. etc. And sometimes either we don't have answers, or sometimes, unfortunately, some of us they agree with all these complaints. So, we as some school servants, we should know why the rights of the church are important. What is the importance of the rights of the church? And I like today to address the importance of the rituals of the church and I'll speak about seven reasons why they are important. Number one, actually, the unity. When you go to any Coptic church anywhere in the world, here, in Egypt, Australia, Africa, in Europe you will find the same readings of today you will find the same tunes if it is joyful, all of us joyful if it is Hosanna uh, if it is the tune of the great fast it will be the same and this unity actually makes us one body, and you don't feel that you are a stranger. Once you step inside a Coptic church, even if it is not your culture, but you will feel home because of the unity of the rituals. For example, if an Egyptian person, a newcomer, came and attended a Coptic American church here although we pray all in English and maybe he doesn't understand English but once he step inside the church because of the tune, cause of the icons, cause of the structure cause how the deacons are dressed, cause how Abuna is visited he will feel home, he will feel it is a Coptic church try to attend a church with a different rites the Armenian Orthodox Church is a sister church who are in, in communion together but if you attend a liturgy here you will feel it is different you will not feel home because different music different readings different way of celebrating the eucharist etc feeling home and feeling that you are not a foreigner you are not a stranger is very important here many youth when they come to America they try to conform to the culture here in order to fit to feel home so what I'm trying to say it is our desire from within whenever we go to feel home so the unity of the rituals make you feel home make you feel home even if you ask the early immigrants who came in the 50s and early 60s before there was a Coptic Church. They used to attend Greek Orthodox, Armenian, etc. But with the first Coptic liturgy prayed here in America and they attended, people were traveling three hours to attend a liturgy. And all of them, they share, you know, were crying. Because now they, they heard the same music, the same uh, liturgy that they are used to it, they felt home so it's very important to keep the rituals because the rituals make you feel home and unite us all over the world that's number one number two the church is an icon of heaven almost in everything in a structure God said to Moses I will show you the tabernacle of God in heaven And I want you to build the tabernacle of meeting according to the example that I will show you. Moses built the tabernacle of meeting based on the model that God actually showed him in the wilderness. If you read Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5, he speaks about the priests of the old covenant who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things copy and shadow so it's copy of the heavenly things and they are the shadow because they are not the real and usually the shadow take the same shape like the original copy and shadow of the heavenly thing as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle for he, God, said to Moses See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mount God actually revealed to Moses a pattern and he told them, I want you to build the tabernacle of meeting according to this pattern When Solomon built the temple he followed the same pattern The church of the new covenant again followed the same pattern Beyond the veil, we have the altar, which actually like the Holy of the Holies. And the name of the church like the Holy Place. And as the basin was outside, we have the baptistry on the northwest part of the church. The church represents in the structure the shadow of the heaven. It is the copy and the shadow of the heaven. Not only that, if you read in the book of Revelation about chanting in heaven in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 After these things I look and behold a great multitude which no one could number Of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb usually when the church is crowded it brings to our mind this verse and thank God now our churches are multicultural we have American, we have Egyptian we have African-American, we have Syrian we have uh, from South America of all tribe, all nation, all people church should be multicultural and then standing before the throne of God clothed with white robes like the deacons are vested in white tunics and the clergy with palm branches in their hands this reminds us with Hosanna Sunday and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land this actually reminds us with him of Logimenus, blessed is he Hosanna in the highest as if when we read actually this chapter as if the church Celebrating Hosanna Sunday But in heaven Same picture The church, that's why we call it The icon of heaven In heaven we will meet the saints We will be around with the cloud of witnesses That's why the icons Surrounding us To remind us they are with us Not just as an icon But we believe in their real Presence with us Especially during the Divine liturgy and the angels exist here, that's why the church is called the house of angels And as we see angels in heaven, they are here and In the verses of the symbols we say, tell to the church, the house of the angels Through the ritual, through the icon, through the structure, through being vested in white Like Hosanna said, in holding the palm branches all these rituals actually reflect or project the heaven on earth so as if we are in heaven while we are on earth that's why in the third hour of the Agbiya we say when we stand in your holy sanctuary we are considered standing in heaven because in heaven we will find the father sitting on the throne and the lamb standing in front of him and as if he is slain as John the theologian saw in the book of Revelation in the same way we call the eastern world we call it the bosom of the father and then we have the lamb on the altar slain his blood in the chalice and we are standing before the father and the son and the holy spirit in reality when we stand in the church we are standing in heaven maybe somebody asks But we know God exists everywhere Why we call the church The house of God? Why the church reminds us of heaven? After the fall of Adam and Eve And God cursed the whole earth So now God wanted Certain piece of land To be separated From the rest of the earth And this piece of land Should be treated as holy Holiness becomes your house, O Lord should be treated as heaven. The word by separated, when we say consecration, means to separate. Even St. Paul, when he spoke about his consecration, he said, God who separated me from my mother's womb. The word consecration means separation. The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 13 said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the word that I have called them to do. When we separate this piece of land from the rest of the earth, and we call it a church, because it is the icon of heaven, that's why we keep this piece holy. We say it's a holy place. Even certain activities, we don't do it here, although these activities are not sinful. For example, inside the church, we don't eat. Inside the church, we don't turn it into a gym and play inside the church, because it is holy, it reminds us with the heaven from which we were exiled after the fall of Adam and Eve so what helps to make this piece of land and this building represent heaven? it is the rich ones, the rights of the church that make this structured not only in the building but in everything in our rights makes it a copy and shadow of the head. Number three, the church explains to us the dogmas and the doctrine in the ritual. Every movement we do actually explains a lot of dogmas. For example, the sign of the cross that all of us we do. It explains to us the trinity in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit it explained to us the oneness of God, one God in Him Explained to us that God, as we were saying in the Bible yesterday He is a throne in heaven, in the name of the Father He sent His Son to the world, to the womb of Saint Mary that's why you say, and the Son and the Holy Spirit transfer us from the way on the left to the way on the right from the left economy to the right economy from the sinful economy to be children of God so even when we make the signs of crossing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on God Amen there are many incarnations the work of the Holy Spirit in us God dwells in the heaven the trinity the oneness of God many doctrines I will explain to you another beautiful doctrine maybe some of us don't understand before the institution narrative the deacon bring the censer to Abuna and then Abuna takes incense from the censer and puts it on the bread and wine why Abuna is doing this? traditionally when Abuna do the procession of the incense among the people this time is a time of confession yes, now we confess individually with Abuna but during this time, it is good to remember your sin and confess them and ask the forgiveness of God and after Abuna finish this procession and goes back to the altar, he prays a prayer in which he says O God who accepted the confession of the thief on the cross, accept the confession of your people this prayer in itself confirmed that this was the time of confession and until now actually during the procession we need to confess to God our sins and ask His forgiveness Why this time is the time of confession? We say the sins represents represent Saint Mary and her aroma is our Savior so the incense is our Savior So as if Abuna is collecting the sins of the people during this procession And put the sins on the incense Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who carried our sins So in a symbolic way, Abuna collects the sins and puts it on the Lamb, on Jesus Because we say this aroma, this incense is our Savior where is our sins right now? In the censor. Before the institution narrative, the deacon bring the censor to Abuna. So Abona take the incense and puts it on the bread and wine. Now I think the meaning is clear. Our sins that were collected in the censor, now actually all our confession, Abuna is putting it on the bread and wine. So this is the Lamb of God who takes our sins, who carried our sins as John the Baptist Here the church in this rite explain to us how Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God That's The testimony of John the Baptist when he said Please behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world Now we can see how God is taking the sins of the whole world in his body So many many lessons many lessons when we take off our shoes it has a very very deep meaning taking off our shoes. You know the ritual that was explained in the book of Ruth and also in the book of Deuteronomy, if a person dies and he doesn't have a children, then the first relative takes his wife, and then if this first relative refuses to take the wife and perform the duty of the deceased person, they take off his shoes and then the second relative perform the responsibility or the duty of the deceased person. Why he takes off his shoes means because he cannot and he refused to put himself in the shoes of the deceased brother. That's why John the Baptist said, I cannot untie the shoes of the Lord, the straps of his sandals. Mean what? I cannot put myself in the shoes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, not me. That's why when God called Moses to take the Israelites from the land of Egypt, He told him, take off your shoes, because you cannot put yourself in my shoes. I am the Saviour, I am the one who will bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, not Moses In the same way when he appeared to Joshua, before entering the promised land God again said to Joshua, take off your shoes Because you Joshua cannot put yourself in my shoes, I am the Saviour So in the same meaning, when Abuna takes off his shoes before entering the altar with the deacons This is a confession from all of us That Jesus is the Savior No one can put himself in the shoes of Jesus He is the Savior Neither an angel nor an archangel Neither a patriarch nor a prophet can save us It is only Christ the Savior So when all of us during communion take off our shoes to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ It's a confession from us That Jesus is our savior And no one among us can save himself All of us, we need him as our savior to save us It also has another beautiful meaning When we walk, what gets dirty? Our shoes get dirty So taking off the shoes means taking off the dirt Taking off our sins before approaching the altar of God and before partaking in His Body and His Blood, we have to be holy, pure, repenting from all our sins in order to approach His Body and His Blood. I want to tell you that with every little right we do, there is a beautiful meaning, beautiful meaning behind it. If you just, I want you to stop and ask why we do this. Why we do this? Because the rituals are structured in a way to explain a lot of the doctrines, dogmas, spirituality of the church. Number four, the rituals actually makes us live every season and celebrate every season differently. If you think about Good Friday and the liturgy of resurrection. How many hours different? Maybe twenty seven hours, twenty-eight hours. There's a difference. Because Good Friday ends around five or six PM and next day we start the liturgy around seven PM. So it's a little more than twenty-four hours. Think about your feeling in the church on Good Friday and think about your feeling in the church in the Feast of Resurrection different feeling. Here, We are actually standing before the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all these baska tunes, with all these hymns, the church is covered with black, we have the icon of the crucifixion in front of all of us, certain feeling. All these rites make you feel the season in a certain way. The altar is closed, are outside the altar to represent how we were exiled from the paradise of joy, how the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified outside Jerusalem. That's why we pray in the second chorus, not in the first chorus. Then, next day, you come to the church after a little more than 24 hours. You will find the banners of resurrection, the joyful tunes, the deacons are vested in joyful vestments, not like Good Friday, the enactment of the resurrection, the procession of the resurrection. Put your heart somewhere else. Think about it if on Good Friday, we went to the church, nothing changed in the church, in the hymns, in the... nothing. Just we read the chapters of the crucifixion. And then following day, went to the church and we read the chapters of the resurrection. Can you live the, the two season? Definitely not Definitely not Kiahk and all the hymns of Kiahk It gives you the feeling that The whole world Are surrounding Saint Mary In her ninth month of pregnancy And who are glorifying God in her womb Who became man for our salvation Venerating her As the mother of God At the throne, his second heaven Who carried God in her womb and so on. Each season, the liturgical year, you know, change from one season to another season. Start with the new year, Nairuz, then feast of the cross, followed by Keahk and Nativity fast, Jonah's fast, the great fast with its beautiful hymns and beautiful psalms, beautiful zoxologies, then the holy week, then the 50 days, then fast of apostles. And this changing, The liturgical year from one season to another season make you celebrate each season differently and bring the meaning and the spirituality of every season to our hearts. If all the seasons are celebrated in the same way, with the same rites, it will be boring. And that's why number five actually, the ritual of the church make the prayer not boring. Can you imagine on Good Friday, we start at eight in the morning, finish around five or six, and then after a few hours, we start ten or eleven pm and finish six in the morning. How any person can spend all these hours in prayer without getting bored? Let me just imagine that we came from eight to six, all what we were doing, Just reading, 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 reading and sermons, reading and sermons and then from 10 PM to 6 or 7 in the morning, the same, reading and sermon, reading and sermon, reading and sermon. I'm sure all of us will get bored. But when you attend aboghanamcees, you will find different rituals. For example, we do three processions, we do some reading, then part from the midnight praises, then long hymns and short hymns, then candles and oil are lit. We read from the book of Revelation. And then even during the Book of Revelation, beautiful hymns we chanted in the middle of the book of Revelation. And then we are anointed with oil. And the hymns during this night part in the Bashatune and part in the annual or common tune and then liturgy and liturgy has different rites when actually we do it this way we don't get bored because we change from one rite to another rite from one rite to another rite that's why we spend 10 hours in the church we don't feel bored why this rites doesn't make us feel bored because it is done with like heavenly Guidance in every direction in a way that definitely the person doesn't get bored. In the revelation between chapter 7 and chapter 19, there is no hymns in between. Maybe that is the longest part during this night just readings. And most of the people, because just reading between chapter 8 and chapter 18. Many people they sleep during these chapters. And then when in chapter nineteen when they deacons start to say alleluia, they wake up with the symbols, belaying symbols, and they start to wake up again. What I'm trying to say, when we read about ten or eleven chapters with no hymns in between, people fall asleep. But when there are hymns interrupting, this actually makes the people awake, not boring, they are participating. And every time I attend vigil, like when you consecrate church, I'm amazed how the structure of, of this night, of this vigil is done in a way that makes it easy for you to spend all these hours in prayer without getting bored. Try to pray in your home, in your inner room for one hour. Maybe it will be a challenge just to stay one hour praying by yourself. But when you come to church, you stay for 10-12 hours consistently, praying without getting bored because of the rights of the church. Also, the rights of the church unite us not on the level of place. The first point I mentioned, I, I said when you travel from one country to another country, or continent to another continent, you will find the same rights. But also, it unites us over the ages. When you read, for example, in the fourth century, how they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. There is a female uh, Nigeria, went to Jerusalem, I think during the time of St. Cyril of Jerusalem, and recorded how they celebrate the Holy Week, the Feast of Resurrection, the 50 days, and the Pentecost, and her writings are available. So she found on Pentecost, the people make three stops, and after they praise the liturgy, so they go first to stop to Gethsemane, where the Lord actually was arrested after He gave His body and blood, they praised and went to the Mount of Olives In Gethsemane, He was arrested there First stop Golgotha and uh, Gethsemane together Second stop to the Mount of Olives where the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven And there to stop, they go back to the upper room Where the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples So these are the three stops Gethsemane, Golgotha, and the tomb, all of them are almost in the same place. Second stop, Mount of Olives, where the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. So, as if they are celebrating the steps, his crucifixion, his resurrection, then his ascension, then the descent of the Holy Spirit. If you read the three prostrations that we pray in the day of Pentecost, The gospel of the first prostitution is from John 17 which is the prayer that the Lord prayed after giving his body and his blood and before going to Gethsemane and he started the trial. John 17 The second gospel actually is about the essential of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third gospel is a Samaritan woman, the, the gospel of the third prostration, in which he said, "God is a spirit, and those who spirit God, they should uh, worship Him with spirit and uh, truth." The same rites that happened in Jerusalem in the fourth century are celebrating right now. First prostration, as if we go with the people to Gethsemane and to Golgotha and to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we read John 17. Then second prostration as if we moved to the Ascension Mountain where we read about the Ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the third prostration as if we returned back to the upper room and speak about the descent of the Holy Spirit and God is spirit, and those who worship Him, they should worship Him in spirit and truth. The ritual of the church does not unite us just on the level of place, when you travel from one continent to another continent, but also unite us with our fathers from the 1st century, 2nd century, third century, 4th century until now. When you study the composition of the liturgy, the composition of the liturgy actually is the scene what the Lord did on Covenant First Day, what His apostles did, what we are doing right now. What did the Lord do on Covenant First Day? He took bread. He gave thanks. He blessed. He sanctified. Then He broke it and He gave it to the disciples. That's what He did. This is actually our literature. He took bread, that's the offering of the Lamb. He gave thanks, that's the Thanksgiving prayer. He blessed it, that's the institutional narrative. Then He sanctified it, that's the Epiclesis. He broke it, that's the fraction. He gave it, that's communion. It's the same structure. And why we added reading? As the Lord actually, when He appeared to the two disciples at the city of Amos, He explained from the prophets and the law everything pertaining to Him. As He explained everything from the books, that's why we explain everything pertaining to Him from the readings. What I'm trying to say: rights not only unite us with other churches on the same place, the level of place, but on the level of time. We worship by like housing worship fifteen century ago, nineteen century ago. And as our children and grand grand, children will worship. So it unites us over the time. So what actually not us over the time over the place, it is the ritual of the church. This is structure He took bread, He gave thanks, He blessed it, He sanctified it, He broke it, He gave it The Church took these steps and composed the liturgy based on these steps And number 7, the rites of the Church does not only explain the doctrine but also it gives actually beautiful spirituality to those who are paying attention to the reading. When you pay attention to the reading and to the prayers, very, very deep. I I will read with you one prayer that we pray in the engagement ceremony. Usually people during the engagement, they are distracted. They are not paying attention to the prayer. But I will show you the depth of this prayer. It's very, very deep. Because while Abuna is blessing the betrothed, in his mind, Jesus is our bridegroom who betrothed us to himself. So actually, he is taking us in a journey from this engagement that we are attending into the true engagement between the Lord Jesus Christ and us the prayer of the engagement the first one he starts by saying, O true master the only begotten Logos of the eternal God who desired eternal joy for humanity through his glorious incarnation as in Arabic actually we say the wedding Farah Farah means joy as when we attend wedding, it is a joyful occasion. So, God in His incarnation, because He came as bridegroom, He desired eternal joy for humanity. Then, there is part, we call it, union of positions. When actually, the position of the groom and the brides are united together. But more importantly, Meaning, now the bride is owned by the groom, and the groom is owned by the bride. As Saint Paul said, the wife doesn't have authority over her body, but the husband does, and the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. That's why he said, who purchased the souls of the believer through the mystery of his life giving the cross. In the union of possession, there is usually a gift given, the dowry. God actually engaged us or betrothed us not by gold or silver or precious stone, but by his own blood. <speaking> in Arabic, it's called union of possession, purchasing the soul of the believer through the mystery of his life giving growth and purified them by the washing of the second birth. As the bride and groom get ready for the engagement, so in the same way God is purifying us by the washing of the second birth. المعملين. who gave them the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Besides the Dory there are gifts are given. so God gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit and granted them the table of life and cup of salvation. theu reception, but here what's our reception? It is the table of life and the cup of salvation, the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the groom becomes the head of the wife, here who became for them the head, the shepherd, and the most high leader, and the heavenly bridegroom groom, who pledged for them the great happiness of the kingdom. As Abuna says to the groom, now you are responsible of her, and you have to do what gladdens her heart. In the same way, our groom pledged for us the greatest happiness of of the King. So here, while we are attending this engagement here, but the Church through the rites take us into a very spiritual journey, looking into our true engagement, because our true engagement, our true betrothal is to our bridegroom. Let me share something quickly with you in the inaudible prayers. In St. Basil's liturgy, In the liturgy of the word, there is an audible prayer, it's called O Lord of Knowledge, O Lord of Knowledge, an audible prayer. While actually the people listening to the Pauline letter, Abuna is standing on the altar praying. Do you know what he is saying? See what he is saying. He said in the Fourth paragraph, we also now, O good one and lover of mankind, we ask you, grant us and all your people a mind free from wandering and a clear understanding that we may know and understand how profitable are your holy teaching which are now read to us through him, through St. Paul. So I want you to imagine who are sitting here listening to the reading, listening to the Pauline letter. And Abuna is standing at the altar praying. Praying for what? That while we are listening to the word of God, God may grant us a mind free from wandering. All of us will complain from being distracted or wandering. Abuna is praying, grant your people mind free from wandering. And sometimes we don't understand the scripture. So here, and a clear understanding that we know and understand how profitable are your holy teachings, which are now read to us through Him through St. Paul? So you can see the harmony here. The deacon or the reader is reading to the people, while I will pray for them Then they understand and God protect them from being distracted or wandering. What I'm trying to say the rights of the church that some of us, unfortunately, complain about. They are very, very rich and take us into a very deep spiritual journey. If we understand and if we follow accurately the right of the church. Because it unites us on the level of the place. It projects the image of heaven to us. The church here is a copy and shadow of the heavenly. Explain to us the doctrines and the dogma, make us live each season in the right way, uh, help us to overcome being bored in the prayer, and also unite us with our forefathers and with the future generation, and give us very, very deep spirituality when actually we focus on the prayer and the reading that are read to us. I hope this lecture will help us first as Sunday school servants to enjoy the ritual of the church to study them and to teach them to our children and to be ready to answer their question when they complain about why we do these things in in that way we can have answer and we can have explanation Glory be to God